The Evolve with Pete Evans podcast is a conversation about my favorite ingredients for a healthy human experience. We take an informed look at topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being as well as expanded consciousness. I love exploring the topics that are not traditionally taught at school and take a deep dive into them with my special guests. I invite you to sit back and come along for the ride with an open mind and heart and please share with your family and friends as these podcasts may just be the seed from which many things will flourish from. Cheers. We've been using Waters Co. water filters for the last 10 years, and I wholeheartedly trust my family's health with them. Waters Co., established 1977, have personal and domestic water filters, which turns your ordinary tap water into great-tasting, alkaline, ionized mineral water, which removes up to 99.9% of fluoride, heavy metals, chemicals, and bacteria, so you can love your tap water again. The Bio 1000 is the latest edition of the BMP 1000 model, and the culmination of over 40 years of experience and research into water filtration by some of the world's leading scientists. Waters Co. was first to market with natural gravity-fed systems, creating alkaline water way back in 1984, and have continued to lead the market in research and development, setting the benchmark for all other brands to follow. Please go to my webpage, PeteEvans.com, to learn more and to receive your special discount from my link on the products page. You're going to love it. Will CU, MD, is a Los Angeles-based psychiatrist providing psychotherapy and medication management using a holistic and integrative approach. To find out more about Will, please visit his website, willcumd.com. That's W-I-L-L-S-I-U-M-D.com. Will, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. How are you, brother? Really good, yeah. Just bunkered down here in Venice Beach, but it's it's not the worst place to be quarantined. How are you doing? Really good, actually. I've got a wonderful opportunity to connect to so many people at the moment through this. You mentioned something big called bunkering down, and what does that mean to you? Bunkering down, I think of like just the analogy to like nuclear war and stuff. You know, there's a danger outside, and one has to like kind of go in and take care of the essentials. I guess is what comes up for when I think of bunkering down, which is, isn't the way I feel, but uh, it's just the term that came to mind. Yeah, it's interesting that our use of language can have such a transformative effect on how we view ourselves in the world. And you being a clinical psychiatrist, I'd love to delve into some of these ideas with you today. Where I would love to start with you is I saw a post that you did recently where you said this is actually an opportunity for us to see and to truly live mm. with these new restrictions that have been put onto us. And I'd love for you to explore that with the audience here, please. Yes, yeah, so I said COVID-19 is an opportunity for humans to learn to truly live instead of merely survive. You know, I, I kind of relate this experience to, you know, or I feel like having had numerous psychedelic experiences and also the work that I do where I help prepare people to have psychedelic experiences is very analogous, right? When I think of the psychedelic experience, what are we trying to do? Or, you know, a lot of psychedelic experiences, for instance, happen in the form of a retreat. You know, retreats are nothing new, right? When we do meditation retreats, yoga retreats, you know, religious retreats, especially before the advent of the phone, what are we retreating from? We're retreating from everyday life, work, family, friends, lovers, 
you know, I'm very careful with language, but one could call them distractions from ourselves, right? From our emotions, from our physical sensations. And we're retreating with the hope of having an experience that will help us live a better life once we're out of it. You know, nobody is like, oh, I'm going to go to a 10-day Vipassana silent meditation, or I'm going to go to an ayahuasca retreat, and it's going to be easy, right? We're going to retreat, we're going to have painful emotions come up, difficult physical sensations, perhaps difficult memories. And the hope is that we process those in some way, and then live our life differently when we get out. And so, you know, when I think about you know, how I prepare for a psychedelic experience or help my clients, it's really akin to what's happening right now, right? There's a lot of nuance and subtlety and technique of how to do that. So, you know, I meant by this statement is that it's an opportunity. And, and the reason why I also say opportunity is because I'm not one of the people that's like, the world is going to be better after this, because I, I see it as an opportunity, because I think, I'm a very big believer in free will and that we have to make choices and decisions in this life that help us take one path versus another versus another. And I do think a healing journey is about being active. You know, there's many people, for instance, that use psychedelic experiences as escapes or just recreationally without putting in the work to actually get the full benefits out of it. So, you know, I, I put up that quote because for me, I mean, I see my role as a healer to my individual clients but I also feel like I want to be helpful to people at large to have healing experiences with or without psychedelics. So let's talk about what's happening at the moment then and how we can relate that to a healing experience for people. I mean, I've been through many psychedelic journeys myself and I understand that stepping into the unknown, you have to have trust and surrender and <laughs> accept what is about to happen and let go of any expectation and set your intention and generally it will present itself. So can you talk to the audience about potentially setting an intention for this period of time if they are, as you mentioned before, bunkered down or if we would like to use the word in a retreat, a very different retreat than what probably people are used to considering with that, that name? Yeah, steps in which you can take people through in which way to have an intention going into this and whether they should expect anything or let go of that. I have a lot to say about that, but let me try to kind of start with perhaps the basics. And so I guess maybe one way to start it out would be to say one way I've thought about what's happening right now collectively, because one of the things is normally if we go to a retreat or a psychedelic journey, it's by choice, right? And this thing is not by choice. This is happening to a collective and it's happening presumably without any of our uh, desires to have this happen. And I don't know, one of the ways I've thought about it is because I and other people that I'm watching are having the range of emotions. Some people are like, oh, we're going to be fine. Or at least I accept what's happening. But there's also anger. There's also fear. And I was thinking about it in terms of, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, right? Mm -hmm. but she has her like five stages of dying. In a way, what I feel like happened is that the Western world was put on hospice. You know, we, we were given a diagnosis and all of a sudden it's like, you're going to have to face your mortality. And what happens to that is you have different emotional responses, right? And with her stages of dying, there's no like end point. Like you can cycle between all of those emotions at any one time. The reason I'm bringing that up in the context of, so how do we make the most out of this is that I think we need to honor all the different parts 
and give space to everything, especially because this is a prolonged experience, right? It's not just like a four-hour, five-hour ayahuasca experience where personally what I do or what I push people to do is to keep digging, stay attentive, stay working, don't like just lay back on the mat and just like lay in bliss, like go back and keep working, keep asking. That's different right now because this is a chronic experience. You know, I'm the type of person who is constantly working on myself, like most of the waking day every day for like the last few years. But one of the things this is making me realize is that I need to work on chilling out and patience. And so what I'm telling people is like, if you find yourself only doing one thing or mostly staying with one set of emotions or one set of ways to process, then to really look at that. One thing I, you know, that I've noticed myself is like there's some people on social media primarily posting, you know, funny memes like, oh, like let's type out stuff about toilet paper and, and you know, hoarding and, and like joking about it. And to me, I've like, you know, for instance, I've stopped following those accounts or I just mute them because I'm like, that's not what I'm into right now. And I don't want to fill my external experience with people just joking about it. But is humor fine at times to like dispel difficult Emotions, sure. But if we're only going to humor, like we've got to look at that. Why are we only doing that? Same thing on the other end of the spectrum, though. If we're only going to fear and we stay in fear, that's not also a healthy thing either. So that is all to say, I think as this is a chronic experience and this is taking weeks now at the very least, is to give ourselves space to do everything. So, you know, for instance, a difficult experience I had in the last week, for instance, that I very much approached this way is that I was not sleeping well and I was waking up a lot at night and I was having these thoughts that, oh my God, is someone breaking into my apartment? Do I need to get up and like look if someone's there? And it was happening night after night. I was also having violent nightmares. Mm -hmm. And even during the day, actually, I was trying to do some meditations and I was also feeling like, did someone break into my place? And what I realized after really sitting with this emotion is that like, I, I like, thought back to actually a time when I was in high school. I was involved with like gangs and, and violence at that time. And there was a lot of threats on my life. And it was not something where I expressed the emotion at that time. I didn't tell my parents. We're kind of taught to like hold all of this in. And what I was realizing is I think all the uncertainty around COVID was bringing up these experiences of violence. So therefore, I was like, oh, I, I might be feeling all this fear because it's bringing up this old stuff, which, you know, I've done a ton of work on myself in the last few years, but I actually haven't touched the stuff around physical violence and threat. That's something I also realized I, that I've not touched in any therapy experience or psychedelic experiences. And so what I did was I set aside a time and I called a friend of mine who is a therapist very experienced therapist. And I actually was like, can I talk something through with you? And then so I talked to her about this. And then she also guided me through a, like a meditation breathing where I put down the phone and I like laid there and I let you know the emotion come up and I didn't distract myself with my mind. And I ended up in tears crying, thinking about like the 15 year old version of me that was terrified over the course of months and months and didn't have an outlet. So I guess what I'm showing is that that's an example of setting aside a time, honoring that I'm feeling something, wanting to intentionally go into it deeper and making a time for that. And it was also important for me because I tend to be someone who works and works and works to actually then be like, okay, and then I'm not going to work on this the rest of the day. I'm going to let myself go shopping and 
also go for a run. That's kind of giving you a different yeah, viewpoints about, you know, again, how I, I think it's important to honor all these different aspects. Mm. And where I would love to go with you is how do you step into this uncertainty with trust and some sort of surrender and acceptance into this unprecedented time, I believe? Because this is what you probably work with with your clients when they're undertaking a psychedelic journey is you have to let go of everything that you expect. and <laughs> The unknown is, is fearful. And I feel like that could be a really powerful thing for you to talk us through now, how to step into the fear, if that is even the right terminology that you use. I think it would be a lot like the example that I just gave, right? I would say set aside some time, whether that's like, you know, a few times a week or something, you know, make sure that you're going to have somewhere comfortable to lay, give yourself a certain amount of time, an hour or something, you know, you could play gentle music, you could have someone sit with you and be like, okay, well, we're not going to joke around, we're not going to have our phones out, can we be, you know, it's, I guess it's a little hard for me to go into it, because normally, like with a client, you know, there's weeks of preparation, and I've gotten to know them. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's difficult to go through the entire process on here. But it's, you know, common things are like, you know, try not to move because what you're trying to do is allowing the energy or the trauma and the body to like bubble up kind of like a pressure cooker. Because normally if we're holding an emotion and it feels uncomfortable, that's when we go to those things that we're retreating from, right? Oh, I'm going to just go call my friend or I'm going to go on Instagram or I'm going to use this energy to go work out really hard or I'm going to, you know what I mean? We're used to doing something when we feel pain or discomfort. And so part of what, you know, going into a psychedelic experience is it's allowing things to bubble up, to let it surface and to let it express, right? So trying to physically not move unless it is like part of the expression is a big part. So quieting the body, I guess, would be the category. And the other part would be quieting the mind, right? So not thinking about it too much. Because the mind is also a distractor, right? We, we try to think and figure out where the body and trauma just needs to be, right? But we're very much a mind-based culture that isn't used to just quieting the mind and letting our body just be. So those are kind of two general categories. One technique that I use when prepping people to have experiences is staying with the breath, right? Because the other thing we also want to do is to allow the breath to deepen. Because normally what we do is that the breath is in fight or flight and it's very short. So one thing that can be helpful with breath work, actually, I don't want to use the word breath work with breathing is that, you know, for instance, if I have an intention, so actually this week when I was going into that experience that I'm talking about, you know, one thing I do is that I'm like, okay, with the inhale, focus on something that I want to let into my life. And on the exhale, talk about, you know, something that I want to be releasing and in keeping it simple to one word, preferably. So I was inhaling safety, and I was exhaling fear. And the reason why it's important to try to keep it simple like that is because again, if it's some complex sentence, like then you're staying in mind, right? But by having like a two sided intention like that, something I want to let in and out, it reminds you of the breath. It reminds you of something simple that you're trying to work through. And then, you know, during that experience, trying to just, yeah, stay aware of the body and letting it do whatever it wants. Again, I'm trying to summarize like a whole approach that I have with people in just a few minutes. <laughs> no, I love it because the opportunity that we have here is to share information and some tips and tools that maybe will come in handy for people. And I'm sure anybody that's listening to this now, even myself, I was like, oh, I'm going to go sit outside and do that and think of two words, one to 
create more of and one to let go of anything that uh, no longer seems to be serving me at this particular point in time. I also want to talk about psychedelics just for a little bit further because this is the field that you work in. And I'm not sure how many journeys I've been on, but I've experienced ayahuasca, San Pedro or Wachuma, 5-MeO-DMT through the Sonoran Desert Toad, mushrooms, cannabis, ketamine, and they've all got a different flavor to them, so to speak. But what they tend to do is to amplify certain memories or painful memories or traumas in some of these journeys. And it can be, for instance, in ayahuasca, it could be 20 minutes or a half an hour that you're going through that to get through to have a realization. I'd love to for you to be able to explain why do psychedelics seem to amplify these painful memories that are either suppressed or potentially even completely forgotten or give us an opportunity to work through them so that we come out the other side with a different perspective? You know, I, I actually wouldn't say amplify because I don't think, you know, I, these are suppressed, right? Once, if we have the trauma and it's it's not released, we hold them in, we hold it in the body. So meaning I don't think it's amplifying per se, it's just bringing to awareness, right? That's why I think in part, we have an unconscious and the ability to have defense mechanisms is because we can't hold on to this all of the time and function, right? We wouldn't want to do that. You know, by saying amplify, I think it can scare some people as opposed to like, it's just bringing up something that's already there. Because if it's already been there and we're living, it's not going to be something that kills us, right? If we're in a safe environment. Mm, I guess Amplify, I shouldn't have said that, but made aware. <laughs> okay, the, the. Yeah, to unmask or to uncover, mm -hmm. I think I, I prefer. And so also you're bringing up a point that I think is an important one that is not talked about enough is that all psychedelics are not created equal. And, you know, people are talking about psychedelic therapy, psychedelic therapy, but they're all very different. You know, some things can be more helpful for certain things and certain diagnoses and certain people. And so I think, you know, that, that's one area where I'm careful to tell people to be careful. Like, don't just go for the first thing that comes to you because, you know, I, I think of them on a spectrum, you know, for instance, of how quickly one removes all of those safety mechanisms that we have. Could you talk us through that as well, just for anybody that's listening? I mean, my audience is very, very vast. Sure, sure. You know, so one is just uncovering our normal defense mechanisms. So is fearful emotions going to come up or are, you know, sad memories going to come up that I'm not normally aware of? That's one level. Um, then you have the potential for ego dissolution, which means like losing the sense of who we are. And you know, my name is Will and your name is Pete. And, you know, two hours into an ayahuasca or a mushroom experience, we may not remember that. So that's, it's a different level of something that can bring up difficult emotion. So if you're like most people who are wanting to just feel better on a daily basis and have live a more authentic life, for the most part, you're basically trying to heal traumas of this life, meaning from this birth to this point in time. So complete ego dissolution, you know, in a maloca in Peru and having a panther appear and it transforms into a, a snake that like represents your great, great grandmother who's communicating, you know, that, that kind of stuff just isn't that helpful and it can be actually traumatic, right? And so I think of there's one level of healing again, which, which I call like on the plane of this reality. So MDMA, for instance, is something that rarely goes into the transpersonal space, you know, and transpersonal is like 
I think of like, you know, we have consensus reality and there's gravity, there's time, etc. And so something like MDMA rarely ever departs from our current reality. And so I think, you know, if, if there's people who don't have a lot of experience with psychedelics, or again, who are just trying to feel better, which is almost everyone out there, MDMA is one that's really good because it's, again, it doesn't depart from the ego portion. Or low doses of ketamine also don't do that. And then you have on the other end of the spectrum, stuff like 5-MeO-DMT or NNDMT that is very ego disillusion. And it's also very fast is the other thing is how quickly do these effects take on. I think most people that I know that that really work with the medicine in healing, I, I actually don't know if NNDMT or 5-MeO-DMT is actually net healing to people. Is it magnificent? Is it impressive? Is it like a beautiful experience to have? Yeah. But is it helping people on a daily basis feel better, you know, more than a few days or a week or two after the experience? You know, most essentially everyone who I've worked with and talked to um, don't really get long-term healing out of those experiences with the short-acting, really powerful psychedelics. You know, again, but they're magnificent. They're interesting. They're fascinating. Being like, oh, why are we here as human beings? Yeah. But does it help us, you know, get less triggered and be less angry, etc.? Not, not so much. My family and I have been using beautiful, high-quality essential oils for the last 20 years to live healthily every single day. Now, if you're passionate about health and are ready to step into leadership, I want to invite you to partner with my team and I to build a beautifully successful doTERRA business. Register at PeteHLC.com backslash Pete. That's PeteHLC, which stands for the Healthy Living Collective, dot com backslash Pete. So how do you work with a client, Will, and ascertain or work out whether a psychedelic journey is appropriate for that person at that particular point in time, or if a different healing modality is more beneficial, such as breath work or whatever else you have in your toolkit? So there's two levels of people, at least two levels, right? There's people who are really struggling and suffering and want to feel better, which I've kind of talked about it. And there's other people who are feeling pretty good, but they are curious and they want to dive deeper into the understanding of the human experience and spirituality and why we're here, life purpose kind of stuff. The latter portion is people who I worry less about. I just want to make sure those people, if they're going to go have a psychedelic experience, that again, they know some of the tools like deep breathing and staying out of the mind, you know, redirecting to the body to try to have expression of emotion. You know, I'm not worried that their acute level of, you know, trauma or anxiety on a daily basis is going to lead to a very, very, very challenging experience, right? So there's a bucket where I'm just like trying to help them get the most out of it. I mean, in theory, that's also true for someone who, you know, is looking for healing because they're really, really suffering. I guess with those folks, though, I work with them more. And I also want to make the point that I'm not like actually, you know, Ketamine I use with my clients because it's legal here in the U.S. and MDMA in the research trials. Yeah, I can use those two when, obviously, when I'm allowed to. But a lot of people come in because they're going to go do something. So I want to help them get the most out of it, you know, wherever they're going to go. Or they've had an experience and they want to process it. But back to the, the piece about, you know, who would I pick is it really depends where the person is. Can they buy into this program of, okay, this is my body, my body, it's in there already. And, and yes, I can trust my breath 
you know, because all those things that I'm talking about, again, focusing inward, getting into the breath, letting the emotion come up in the body, all those can be done without the psychedelic. So I actually do a lot of that work with my clients just sitting in the room. And so they end up having very powerful cathartic experiences without any psychedelics. And so I, I work with everyone in that way. And so, you know, but there's some people say who have a very hard time getting out of the mind or letting go into things. And, you know, that then depends what they have access to. You know, if it's someone who has a really hard time letting go of their ego and getting out of the mind, I might actually be like, I don't think you should go to that ayahuasca retreat because that might be net traumatic if you're sitting there and you stay in mind four hours. You know, it could be a very terrifying experience. So I guess all that is to say it depends on the person, but yeah, maybe you got a flavor of it by what I was sharing. Mm, no, I definitely did. And I, I appreciate you talking about this. And one of the things that I've read that you've shared recently, you've talked about loneliness and what that might mean for people at this particular point in time. And that our heart is actually the destination and how can we cultivate that journey inwards and what loneliness or potentially depression at this particular point in time. And again, some more tips and tools apart you've talked about the breath work and the mantra but if you can define what you mean by our heart is our destination yeah i mean that that gets into i guess more of my spiritual beliefs and why i think we're here in this human experience right like i don't subscribe to any religion but if probably connect with my current spiritual experience and the human experience and why i think we're here is buddhism you know i do believe in reincarnation i believe that People are at different levels of reincarnation and that the reason that we come here into the human experience is that we come from a place of oneness and we go to a place of oneness after death. You know, one can call that God, you can call that whatever you want to call that spirit. But I think to me, what this human experience is about is it's about having the perception of disunity. And then through that human experience, finding unity. And to me, there seems to be a beauty and a magnificence of this adventure of self-discovery, as I would call it. Like we are rediscovering unity from a position of feeling that it's not there. And there, it just seems to be, you know, again, the adventure and the magnificence of the self-discovery itself. Because if we're just sitting in a place of oneness, how would we know it? Another word for that oneness or that place that we go or we come from, I think is love, you know, it's unity. And so, you know, when I think about, you know, the, the, I guess of, of going back to love and that's the place that we want to go is, is that's what we're trying to find. Right. And so whether it's physical trauma or coming from an immigrant family or, you know, being adopted or whatever, you know, I think these are all examples in the human experience of having, of feeling disunity, right? That That's what trauma is. And it's like, how do we heal through that to feel that we are a part of this life thing that's happening and that we are here and we deserve love? Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it does. And I can't help but recall many of the psychedelic journeys that I've been through and journeyed on and with other people. And what culminates at the end of those is that overwhelming feeling that we are love and that is the destination and we are the destination and we always have it, but we are so disconnected from it. And there's nearly a look in people's faces 
after they go through that journey, it's like, aha, I get it, you know, but then we go back to our day-to-day lives and the ego starts to come in, mainstream media, as you said, following social media and these types of things, and we start to react again. That's why you know, some of these practices that you talked about really center us back into the heart. And it was interesting. I had a chat with my mum yesterday. I was sitting there having a cup of tea and she's, she's nearing 80 and, you know, this virus is affecting the elderly. And she actually said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to go if this is my time. And, and I said to her, I said, well, I've gone through a couple of of my own deaths through these psychedelic journeys and, and me too, you know, whatever may be, whatever may unfold. Personally, I wasn't referring to the virus, but personally for me, it's like, well, everything is, is perfect, you know, and what an experience this has been so far. You know, I've been in awe and wonder of everything. And if I was to leave tomorrow, I'm ready. I have no fear about that. So talk to me about this, why do we go through these perceived deaths on some of these journeys, whether it be psychedelic journey or people with, through near death, that is a catalyst for this, I, I, I guess, very peaceful and content state of being once you have faced death or the perceived thought of death or experience of death. You know, just to clarify, I think what you're referring to is ego death, Correct. which means our identity. And, and that is what I think is the most important part. There's this like quote that I don't remember where it comes from that says, death is only the end if you think the story is about you. You know, I think that's where a lot of the psychedelic experiences take us is that, that we end up seeing a much bigger picture that this isn't just about us. Like there's no way that the way we look at time and see time that we're, we're just like a blink of the eye. But, you know, in, in many ways, we just don't talk about death. And that's kind of maybe going back to the quote that I had posted about, you know, COVID is an opportunity for humans to learn to truly live instead of merely survive. Well, what I mean by truly live is to, you know, be fully expressed. You know, I think each of us is such a beautiful, has potential to do something incredibly unique. So even though we are, again, we are here just for a blink of the eye, I believe that every single human that ever lives is capable of something that no other human from the beginning of end of time is capable of. And that is magnificent. But then when we lose ourselves into social media and like, oh, we've all got to dress this way. And oh, the goal is to make money and to have a house like this. And to like, that's when I'm like, we're not living. You know, it reminds me of, you know, Karl Marx used to say that, you know, because often we think about like the most fundamental things to human life is food, clothing, shelter. And I don't think that that's the case. And I read something by Karl Marx where he says, No, the human experience, you know, the most fundamental things is food, clothing, shelter, and the ability to express yourself. And that's one that I don't think we think about too much is that culture, family, religion, etc. limits who we think we are and what's okay and what's okay to be and how can we talk and how can we act. Mm. And I think that's where psychedelics are a very powerful thing. Again, it has the opportunity to help us remove a lot of the veils of what limits us. And so Hmm. I think that's the thing that's beautiful about the ego death is that it's like, okay, so I'm here. There's one life. How how do I make the most out of this thing? And I love that what you just talked about then is creative expression because that is what I believe our purpose is, is to express ourselves creatively in as many different ways as we can explore. 
and you know we all have the ability to be angry, violent, aggressive, or the other end of the spectrum is unconditional love, and we are capable of all of all of that. And I wonder why we actually are capable, and it's to potentially express or to see and witness, so that we learn from this. And what you mentioned about religion or our culture and even our parents to a degree, or how we were brought up because you don't know about me, but some would say that I'm a controversial figure in this country in, in Australia because mainstream media like to sensationalize things that I've said or expressed. And other people would like for me to fit into a box because my training was as a chef. So they keep referring back to, hey, why don't you just stick to cooking? You're not qualified to speak about anything else. So you shouldn't express your opinion or even express yourself into other realms. And I see it as a limiting belief system on their behalf or even consciously because I see us as beings of unconditional love that are capable of anything and to express ourselves in any way that we see fit to explore. And I could feel it with certain people that I know that they're so fearful of expressing themselves. So how do you go about letting your clients know that it is okay to express themselves regardless of their cultural upbringing, what other people think. How do you take them through those steps? I think of the concept of perceived values versus true values, right? I I think each of us has almost like a soul contract. We have things that we are capable of, that we're here to do, that we're here to express that before we we actually come into a human body or before, you know, conception of sperm and egg. And we're given this opportunity. And so I would say those things that are essentially the moment we choose to come into the human experience, those are true values. That is what I'm here to do. On the other hand, then, you know, once again, culture, religion, etc., some of the things that that can tell us to do can be seem so powerful that they can seem like true values, but those are the ones I call perceived values, right? And we all struggle with these still, right? Like a a massive universal one is still money and attention, right? And that's one I've had to struggle with. and, And it's been more on the top of my mind recently, as I've been doing more public speaking or or TV shows and stuff like that, because I'm like, wait, is this ego? Like, why do I care about how many people watch this and oh like look like there's a part of me that feels proud because of all these emails I'm getting etc the point of this is is this to say like oh like I could tell myself in my mind oh doing more podcasts and this this is my true expression but I, I actually don't think that that could ever be the case you know I don't think at the soul level you know before we come into this reincarnation that the soul is saying okay I'm here to have X number of followers and to make this much money. Like that, that just doesn't work that way. It doesn't make sense to me. In my heart. <laughs> and that's a lot of us, right? Definitely the circles I'm getting more into, that is a thing. The subtlety when I'm working with a client is I honor for myself and for other people. I think that the only person that knows what their true values are is that person. So I'm helping them guide them back to their heart through the perceived values. Part of that work is getting to know them, just what things that they deal with in their upbringing, what religion did they grow up in. The emotions are key, right? Few people are connected to their emotions and where they are generated in the body. To me, the emotions are like the tool. I think of it also as like a GPS system 
for instance, I think all the emotions or even the painful ones are valuable. You know, I think there's such a thing, for instance, as healthy shame and unhealthy shame. If I am doing something that's not aligned with my true value, I hope I feel shame because that's going to redirect me to get back to something that I actually care about. You know, so that's where the pain is a really important tool as a healing experience. I want to feel sad. I want to feel shame. I want to feel guilt and be a very aware of it because that puts me in tune of what I'm off on. And so to me, it's a multi-step process. For most people, it's even going down to like, these are the basic emotions. This is what I think about. Where are you feeling it in your body? Because if someone's, again, their guidance system is off because they're taking medications or they're just not aware or um, they drink a lot, you know, it's like they're closing off their ability to feel their compass, you know, to getting back to those true values. Once that's more intact and we know each other and there's the trust, then it's like looking through their different life experiences or psychedelic experiences to try to hone in and to be with the true values as much as possible. Or another way to say that is to be in flow, right? The flow state to me is one of, of just being and, and not trying to do things. Uh, I mean, that was a long rant. <laughs> Mate, I love it. I love it. And thank you for taking us on the journey today. And I know my questions were a little open-ended and gave you a great opportunity to to dive in here. Yeah, I just love the work that you're doing. I love the message that you're spreading. And just want to tell you that I love you, brother. And I can't wait to meet you in the flesh when this, <laughs> whatever this is, passes and uh, we can connect again. Have a wonderful day, Will. All right, you too. If you would like to become a qualified health coach, then the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, or IIN for short, can help you achieve your goals. I completed their health coaching course many years ago, which has been one of the catalysts for my own journey into what I now love to do, which is to help people achieve greater health through the sharing of information through my books, seminars, podcasts, TV shows and films. I recommend IIN for anyone wishing to pursue a career in the health coaching and wellness space. IIN is a one-year course, so that if you're a full-time worker, busy parent, or wherever you are in your life, it is flexible enough so you'll be able to complete all the required curriculum. Please see the link included in the podcast show notes or my website to access the free sample class and first module of their program. This will give you a great taste of the format as well as the structure, and you can also utilize my special discount that I can offer you if you decide to sign up. Make sure you tell the admissions team that you're part of the Pete Evans Tuition Savings to claim your very substantial discount. Please visit integrativenutrition.com or email admissions at integrativenutrition.com. The information, views and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions, or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast.